Jesus, we trust you. We thank you for your love and that you are trustworthy, that we can, we can place our lives in your hands and that the way you will respond is with compassion and love, embrace, encouragement, that you will mold us, you'll shape us, and you'll care for us. And so God, in this time, may we trust you, trust your voice and listen for your voice and lean in on that love that you have for us and build our life on the foundation of your love. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Please have a seat. Good morning. How are you doing, Highlands? It's a good day today. It's, we're getting this, this incredible series started. But I just, you know, one of the cool words in the Bible is the word Jerusalem. It's a city, of course. But the word Jerusalem actually means Yeru, which is a foundation, and city, Shalem. So, so we have this, this foundation city. I just love, I love that image that we're building our lives on the foundation of Jesus Christ. We're building it on the foundation city. And especially with this church has been completely renovated, remodeled. I mean, some of the people are coming, some of you I know are coming here for the first time since the renovation and you're just stunned at what's happened. Um, This last week we finished the wall, which is cool. Do you guys, isn't that awesome? And um, all the... All the prayers are written on the back of that wall, on the inside of it. And it's so special to know that. And, and then that was done by a volunteer. Someone came and did that as a gift to Highlands to can finish building the wall. And then earlier this week, uh, we had an old longtime member of, of the Highlands Church. His name's Joshua Rushing. His dad owns like a power washing company. And he came and he, he, spent, he works for this company and he spent this whole entire day pressure washing the outside of the building. And when it was done, you didn't realize how dirty it was until he finished, but it looked like it had a fresh coat of paint. The whole place is just shimmering. And it's, and it's amazing to see this transformation that takes place. And, um, and, and the reason that we did this whole transformation, the, the passion behind it is so that we could make room for more people. We didn't have enough seats inside of the worship space before, and now we have a lot more seats. We're actually running out of actual seats pretty soon. Um, but we are so thankful that, that God has this thing that he's done in our life to make us uh, so concerned to reach out to people and welcome them into what God is doing this, this incredible life that we're welcomed into. And we're so happy for any of you here who are here for the first time. Be, and it's a good thing you're here because today is the You're Invited series. And maybe you were actually invited by somebody. Uh, we have uh, some new invitations we're handing out this week. They're little business card-sized in, invitations. Uh, for those of you... Um, uh, when you go to your parties or something, when you go to someone else's party, you can, someone can ask you for your business card and you can accidentally pull this out and be like, oh, I'm sorry. I, 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 I guess I'll write my number on the back of this. Or you could just, just, you know, throw it on the ground somewhere, see if someone finds it, you know. There's lots of different ways of inviting people, really. And, um, so let us know what you do with your business card invite that you get on the way out. But we've learned through this invitation series that, first of all, Jesus, in the book of John, we just find that he's this guy that says, come on, come. And these invitations are great because they just say, let's go. That's what Jesus said to his disciples. He said, come on, come check it out. And then they learned that they too can say, hey, come on, come check it out. That was like the, found, that was the beginning of Jesus's ministry. Come, just come check it out. And then we found out that Jesus actually invites us to become people who accept invitations, at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, see, we believe in this church. If we, fo- we focus in on Jesus, we can learn how to live our lives and how to live out God's call in our life. And so we look at the very first things that Jesus did in, as, as recorded by the book of John. It's to go to a wedding in, 
in Cana of Galilee, and they ran out of wine. So Jesus fills all of these big, big barrels, big, um, big containers with water, and then transforms all the water into the best wine anybody's ever had. He was the life of the party. But what we learned from Jesus is that it's really important to accept people's invitations, to go to their parties, to, to, to go to where they're at. And people can invite you in a thousand different ways. And today, we have an interesting snapshot of Jesus' ministry. And, and it's this, this, this weird thing that John does. You know, all the other Gospels record Jesus as cleansing the temple at the end of the Gospel. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all say that Jesus cleansed the temple, what you're going to read about today. He did that at the end of his ministry, right before he was crucified. But John says that he cleansed the temple at the beginning of his ministry. That's where John introduces people to Jesus. And I always find it's really weird that John would choose this scripture of all scriptures to introduce Jesus to. But here, let's read it today, and you'll, you'll see why it might be a strange portrait of Jesus for someone to see right out the bat. This is the story. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And in the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both sheep and the cattle, and he also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Now, now, when you go to a party and you start t- talking to people at the parties that you've been invited to, people are going to start to ask you, they're going to just start talking about faith. It'll come up sooner or later. Have you guys had this happen? Or about church or religion or something like that. And usually people have some reasons why they don't go to church, why they don't want to have anything to do with church. But have you noticed that a lot of the reasons that they don't go to church are actually really good reasons? Have you noticed that the objections that they have to going to church are actually kind of objections that Jesus would have too? Like, oh, people, I've met a lot of really nasty people in church. They're really mean. They're not welcoming. Yeah, well, Jesus would hate that too. You know, they say that, oh, you know, I actually think that the churches, they tend to care not so much about the poor. They, they, they're not caring about the poor enough. Well, Jesus would say that too. He really wants the churches to care more about the poor. You see, the, the objections that you encounter that most people have to the church or to the body of Christ or to the work of Jesus actually has nothing to do with Jesus. It's the kind of stuff that Jesus would be totally against too. See, when Jesus goes into the temple, see, we have to, we have to wind the clock back to the very beginning. At the very beginning of the Bible, God encounters Abraham. And Abraham needs a place to live. He needs a place to live, really live. And so God says, I'm going to invite you to come to the promised land. I'm inviting you to this place. And so Abraham steps out in faith and says, yes, God, I believe that you are preparing a place for me and for all of my ancestors and for all people. And so I'm going to step out on this journey. Well, you flash forward and Abraham's ancestors don't end up in the promised land. They don't end up in Jerusalem. They actually end up in Egypt and they're enslaved. And while they're in Egypt, there's another invitation that God extends for these people to come out of Egypt. And the only way that he can get them out is through these plagues, these horrible plagues that come over all of the people of Egypt. And the miracle of God is obvious because the plague hits all of the, people, the Egyptian people, but none of the people who, who were the, the descendants of Abraham. And so they all come out of Egypt and they start heading out to try to find the promised land, to try to find this place This place where people are not enslaved, where people are not oppressed, where people are not taken advantage of. And so then they find this place and they place God's temple, God's worshiping place right there in the middle at the mountain, at the temple mount. 
And they build this temple according to the specifications that God gives them, that there would be this like center to the temple, this really holy place where, God, where, where God's spirit resides. And only a few people can go into that. That's how it's set up. Only a, a, couple number, a couple of people can go into that place. And then the next place is for the people of God, the children of God, the Jewish people, the descendants of Abraham. And then the next place is for, well, the next place is for all of the people who are not descendants of Abraham. They actually had a worship space that was for all the people who were not descendants of Abraham, all the Gentiles, as they would call it, anyone who's not Jewish. The whole entire world could come and discover and learn about who Jesus is, or who, sorry, about who God is. Well, what Jesus encountered is that this temple was filled with, with people who were exchanging money. And, and do you know money exchange when you go on a vacation, somebody exchanges your money and they always add like a little premium to it, you know, like a little cost for doing the exchange, which makes sense. They got to make a living, right? Well, that's what happened. People would travel from a long way and they would actually exchange their money. And instead of just exchanging the money, it would be, um, it would be like jacked up, complete premium. Like they would tax the money. They'd be so expensive because you couldn't use foreign money inside of the temple. In fact, you couldn't even use Roman currency because Roman currency had, a, had an image of Caesar on it. They wanted only the temple currency, convenient, right? And then the temple currency had this holy city written on it. And then on the other side, it had an image of a goblet or a, or a cup to signify God's fruit and the beauty of God's goodness. So they would exchange that and then they would have to buy the animals for sacrifice because that's what you wanted to do. You wanted to, you wanted to give God like a rack of lamb, you know? You wanted to give God like premium, premium Hearst Ranch beef, you know? You wanted to give him the best of anything. You're like, what's the best thing I can give God? I'm gonna do this. And so you would go and you would spend your money and you would buy it and then you would just give it all away. You wouldn't even need a burger. You would just give every little bit to God. And, and, and what happened is they would charge as much as they could for that, for the animals as well, because one of the rules was you couldn't bring animals that were blemished, that were like, like injured in any way. And if you traveled a long way, you're not going to be able to bring a cow in any kind of good condition or a dove or a sheep or a goat. Let me give you an example. Do you guys know about that gas station right before Big Sur? Do you know what I'm talking about? You're driving up the one and you hit this gas station right b- before Big Sur and then suddenly the price of gas goes from $3 to like $42. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? And you just feel completely robbed. It's like, yeah, we know that you are the only gas station, but that doesn't, is that legal? Does anybody know if that's legal? Is there like an environmental reason? Is there some reason? Can you just give me some reason why they're charging so much for gas? That person, is that a nice person who owns that place? I don't know. Here's another example. When my brother-in-law was in Florida last week, by the way, not a great place to be last week. But he's like, I'm on a business trip in Florida. And we said, no, don't go. But he went anyway. And so he went on a business trip to Florida. And then on Friday, he says, you know, I got to finish my business trip. So I'll stay all the way to Friday. Sorry. But (laughs) then he tries to get a flight out. And they don't have a lot of seats on the flights because most people want to go on vacation at that time, like two days before a hurricane, you know, they want to get out of Dodge. But the cost of the flights was like, any normal domestic flight was like $1,500. And you just think about those poor families that were trying to leave that place and they couldn't get out. And then the airlines decided they were going to jack up the prices and get as much money as they could, whoever it was. You see that feeling that you have when you think about that? That, the, the, that robbery that was taking place, 
That is the feeling that Jesus had when he walked into the temple and he saw that this place that was meant for worship had actually been turned into a means of like taking advantage of poor people who had almost nothing in their life. That's the feeling that Jesus had. And you can kind of start to see why John might have started his gospel with this image of Jesus Christ. To connect with those people who, when they look at the church, when they look at the establishment, they only see this thing that they feel is taking advantage of other people. This is how the story continues. It says these words. Jesus told those who were selling the doves, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, what sign, what miracle can you show for doing this? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will build it up again. The Jews then said, this temple has been under construction for 46 years and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. And, he was, and after he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. I, I love that John introduces his gospel with this story. But think about it. At the very the end of John, the very last verse of John is this. This is what it says. It says in John 21, 25, but there are also many other things that Jesus did. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. That means that John had to be really specific about which examples and illustrations of Jesus he was going to include. I wish he'd written more. I'm just saying, like, you know, we could, we could have handled it. But he was very specific about which ones he was going to convey. And I think that he shows this image of Jesus to speak and preach to those people who are saying, I think that the church has got it all wrong. And I never want to be a part of anything that church ever has to do with. And you know what Jesus was saying? I don't either. <laughs> We got to clean it out. We got we to gotta clean it out. But then, you know, this really interesting thing that Jesus says, he actually says, you know, I'm going to tear apart this temple. I'm going to destroy it. In three days, it's going to be brought back up again. Actually, then he says, no, no, actually, he's talking about the temple of my body. And this illustration of the temple of the body isn't just end with Jesus Christ when he, is, when he dies and comes back to life. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Um, he says these words. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God, and that you are not your own? Isn't that interesting that we're not our own? Just like the temple in Jerusalem does not belong to any human being, it belongs to God. Just like this worship space doesn't belong to any human being, this is God's worship space. The same way your body doesn't belong to you. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's God's residing place. And I wonder, as Jesus makes this, this parallel between the, the temple in Jerusalem and the temple of our bodies, I wonder how much correlation there is. For example, there's that deep heart's core that's centered around God and has the depth of God dwelling within us. But then there are these outer layers that kind of move outward, and there's this space in the temple in Jerusalem that was designed to connect with other people to bless other people with God's love. And how interesting that so many of us have, have filled our lives with commerce or filled our lives with things that distract us and actually cheapen the relationships that we have with other people. 
And maybe what God intended for us is to have this depth of relationship with people, yet we keep inserting all these other little things into it that mix up the relationship. You hear what I'm saying? Right after this story, Jesus is visited by a guy named Nicodemus, who's one of the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees loved that Jesus cleansed the temple because the Pharisees were all about having the outside of the cup be really clean. Do you know what I'm talking about? They were really interested in things being clean, on, in, at least visibly speaking. And, and this is what Nicodemus says to Jesus. He says these words. Now, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jew, and he came to Jesus by night and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come, to, come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. And Jesus answered him, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Now, that's an interesting concept, being born from above, born again. Now, I grew up in the church, and I swear, like, ever since I was a little kid, just like downstairs, um, we have one, did you know one-third of the people that are worshiping here right now? Like, if you took one-third out, that's how many kids are downstairs right now? But I remember just as a little kid, I felt like I knew who Jesus was. You know, one of the greatest theologians said the best way to proclaim Jesus' love is just, just to say the best theological, uh, theological treatise is just these words. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And if you grew up with that, you might run into someone and say, born again, I don't know what you're talking about. I just feel like I've always known Jesus. And then I started to realize, you know what, you really need to be born again every day. How interesting that, that, that John talks about Jesus cleansing the temple at the beginning of John, but actually the other gospels say that Jesus cleansed the temple at the end, uh, right before he was crucified. But how, how impossible is it to imagine that Jesus did it both times? I mean, we don't know. But is it possible that Jesus cleansed the temple many times? Do you think that after Jesus cleansed the temple, do you think that those people stayed out of the Gentile court and they stopped doing their commerce? Or do you think that just soon enough, he came right back in? See, we need a cleansing of our, of our, our, our minds, our souls, our body. Not just once, but, but for all time. Every single day we need to be born again. Every day. If I'm not born again today, oh, I need that. I need that cleansing, that, ref- that forgiveness, that love of Jesus in my life. But then there's this other part of it. Being born again. I thought of this once. If I meet a guy named Bob after worship today, and I'd never met that guy named Bob before, and then I walk, and I get to know him, and I kind of get a sense of who he is. I really have a good idea of who he is. If I walk down the street later today, and someone says to me, do you know Bob? And I say, no, I'm a liar. I can never not know Bob again. You see, once you know Jesus Christ, you can never unknow Jesus Christ. He is always there. You can't get rid of him. He's always in your life. He's always talking to you. You can never truly shut him out. The love of Jesus Christ is not something that ever goes away. I love what Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about. I love that Jesus isn't, isn't preaching this in a synagogue. He's doing this in just casual conversation with Nicodemus, who really just wants to know, who's talking, sharing his ideas about God. It says this, Nicodemus said to him, how can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? And Jesus was like, are you an idiot? No, I'm sorry, just kidding. No, he didn't say that. You'd be thinking it though, trust me. 
And Jesus was very nice. See, see we learn how to, how to look like Jesus in these conversations. <laughs> Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. Do you see that water, fleshy stuff, like the temple on the mountain, and also of the spirit? What is born of the flesh is the flesh, and what is born of the spirit is the spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. And I love this, the wind blows where it chooses. And you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? How can these things be? We need God's cleansing in our life. We need the transformation of Jesus. And, and we also need to be able to be the kind of people that when we're starting to talk to people about Jesus for the first time or talk about faith, allow them to express their concepts, their ideas. And actually find those places in which actually they are quite in alignment with Jesus already. Help find that righteousness that is already placed in their heart by God and help them to discover what they don't know yet, that they are children of God and that God loves them so much and that God is not judgmental and that the church is not what God wants it to be. And that's why we're striving and that's why we're trying and that's why we're working and that's why we're focusing in on Jesus. And that's why we're not all about the walls. But I do love that I actually think, I was looking the other day, there's a big movement to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. Did you know that? There's a bunch of people that really want to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. See, what Jesus did is he transformed our understanding of God from one where God resides in a little box over in a town in a city called Jerusalem to one where the Spirit of God resides within us. It doesn't reside here. It goes with you. The Spirit of God is with us. And I love that in Jerusalem, I think it's the most beautiful thing that all that remains, all that remains of the temple is the wall of the foundation. Because what God intended for us to be is a people who are built on the foundation city. We are the people who refer to God as our rock. And see, God is our rock. Jesus was referred to as the cornerstone of our understanding, of our faith, of everything, of who we are. And actually, Jesus, Jesus didn't just extend the invitation for us to witness him and his temple being destroyed and resurrected. You know, your temple may have been destroyed. And that's why a lot of people don't come to church because they have just had their temples destroyed. But Jesus has the power to take whatever's been done to the temple of your body and to resurrect it and to bring it back to life again and heal it and to make it as good as new. So now... Let's, let's stand. Let's bring our temples to our feet. Let's bring the temple of the Holy Spirit that we have and let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much because you are trustworthy and you are worthy. And that word, we see, you actually see the word worthy, Lord. And we build our foundations on your love, your love. 
Not any man-made thing, not on the flesh, not on the rocks, but Lord, on this power that created all these things. Your love. And so God, we pray that you would continue to, to form us and mold us and speak into our lives with your love. And help us to be those people that are, that are helping others, helping others to discover how wonderful you are and how much you love them. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.